Hello, my name is Mary. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, in all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Jeff. The New Testament reading is found in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, They should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Debbie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke seven twenty through 23. When they reached Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. He asks, are you the one who is coming or should we look for someone else? Right then, Jesus healed many of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits and he gave sight to a number of blind people. Then he replied to John's disciples, Go, report to John what you have seen and heard. Those who were blind are able to see. Those who were crippled now walk. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. And good news is preached to the poor. Happy is anyone who doesn't stumble along the way because of me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Amen. Remain standing as we pray, would you? Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. We're asking now that you continue to open up our hearts and our minds. Thank you for the way that you're already speaking and encountering us through songs and fellowship and prayer. We ask now that as we open up the word that you would meet us here. Meet us here. You open the scriptures to us. Speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. We're ready with expectant hearts. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's great to be back with all of you. If you're not normally an 11 a.m.er and you're here because of the time change, I get it. I mean, what I think, look, I understand we got to do this thing so we don't have super dark mornings or whatever, but can we, do we have to do it on a Saturday night? Like, isn't that proof of persecution right there that it's like planned just to unnerve Christians? I'm just messing with you. It's great to be back. I had about 11 days in the UK, end of February, beginning of March, uh, doing a couple of different things. I was teaching at a 
University up there, and then I spent some time doing some local church ministry, and then I got to speak to 1,500 pastors from all across the UK, uh, pastors in different denominations. Some of them work with uh, hospital, as hospital chaplains, some of them are police chaplains, some of them uh, are prison chaplains, and I just got to say, it was so encouraging to hear and to meet and to have conversations with people who are doing good and faithful work, and I thought, man, Jesus, you are on the move all around the world. Isn't that good news? Sometimes we say Jesus is on the throne. That's good news too. But it can make you think that he's passive. And I think, well, no, he's on the move. And then I came back and um, was asked to to help host the service at North because our um, congregation that is in Spanish language, Iglesia Nueva Vida, the pastors, Pastor Jeremias and Pastor Anna, were preaching at New Life North last week. And he was preaching in Spanish. She was translating for him. But it felt like they were both preaching, like you were getting the, the same point with this force. And I was sitting there watching them, helping them, hosting them, and thinking, this is great. God's not just at work in churches around the world, but in every, it was a picture to me of how he's at work in every language, every culture, every tribe and tongue. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. It's Jesus, only Jesus, as we sang about this morning. And it made me think of the story that Nicky Gumbel, the guy who founded Alpha, in fact, our Alpha um, course, our Alpha group right now, the, the, the group of people who are exploring questions about faith, they're on a retreat right now that we, uh, in the inside, sort of dub the Holy Spirit weekend, you know? So if you say a prayer, if you're thinking of them, just say, get them, God, like, get them, like, draw them to, to, to you. Well, it reminds me of the story when Nicky, who, who started uh, the Alpha course, decades ago, he, he would go to this gym and this guy, they would play squash together, which is like racquetball, but not as cool. And, uh, and, and Nicky was this pastor, but over there, you know, he's called a vicar. And so he was nicknamed Nick the Vic. And so this guy that he played squash with would say, well, Nicky, how many people come to your church, you know? And in his proper, very nice, you know, BBC accent, Nicky would say, well, you know, about 5,000 or so. And the guy would go, Jesus! And Nicky goes, that's right, that's why they come, you know? So that's, that's why we're all here, all around the world, wherever we are gathering in his name. And this is the part in the series where we've kind of turned the page from talking about who is God the Father to talking about who is God the Son. Now, maybe you haven't noticed the graphic changed here. We've got the lamb in there. And this morning, we're going to talk about who is God the Son as the healer. Last week, Pastor Jason did an amazing job setting this new section of the series up and talking to us about Jesus as the incarnate Son of God, fully man and fully God, the Messiah, what all of those things mean. And so as we now begin to unpack this a little bit more, we're going to say, well, well, what do we do with some of the other things we see about Jesus? Now, maybe right away... When I said that we're going to talk about Jesus as the healer, maybe right away you started to tense up. Maybe you're, you're back and next. Because you're feeling like, Glenn, I don't like talking about this. I have a bad story about a person that we prayed for that didn't get healed. I have a difficult story. I have a painful story. I don't want to talk about he, Jesus as the healer because it wasn't the case for me. And I understand that pain. And I understand the difficulty and the complexity of questions about why some people are healed and why some people are not. I went to school, like Jason and Sarah, at this place that was started by a healing evangelist, a guy named Oral Roberts. We went to Oral Roberts University where there's praying hands on the campus there. And conversations about healing, even though Oral Roberts himself would say that God heals through medicine and through prayer, 
students that were there came in with all kinds of misconceptions about how healing worked. I remember as a freshman, I was, I'd met a guy from Singapore and me being from Malaysia. I thought, okay, great, we'll, we'll be friends and we're hanging out. And all of a sudden he got real antagonistic and got real aggressive and was talking about healing. And he started to say, you know, you can, you can claim your healing. And if you're not healed, it's, it's a person's fault for either having sin in their life or not having enough faith. And I was like, ah, not only do I disagree, but it's also getting late, you know. And I was trying, how do I get this guy out of my dorm room? And he's just getting more and more intense and he's doubling down. And finally, I mean, to my shame, I said, you know what? You need to go now. Like, get out of my room. Like, this is over. And so was the friendship. And (laughs) sadly... But so what we do when we have those conversations or those confrontations or those experiences of pain is we then kind of bracket it off and we say, well, healing is just peripheral. And it becomes this side thing. It's like extra credit and maybe once in a while, but it's peripheral. Like we don't need to make it central. The problem with that is we can't make it peripheral because on almost every page of the Gospels, there's a story of Jesus healing somebody. And so we might like to say, well, no, no, this is peripheral. This is side stuff. This is bonus stuff. Try reading the Gospels. You won't try cutting out the healing stories. You won't get very far. You'll be cutting out sections of every episode. We can't say it's peripheral. And so other Christians then say, well, I know healing is just a proof. Like Jesus healed. There's so many healing stories in the Gospels because Jesus is trying to prove that he's God. But that doesn't really work, does it? Because there's other people who healed in the Old Testament. Elijah heals. Elisha heals. Nobody's going after Elijah, Elijah and Elisha and saying, I think that's Yahweh. Nobody's going after them and saying, I think they're God. So if the, if the healing stories in the Gospels are just proofs that he's God, then you're kind of like, but, but that doesn't really work. So it's not peripheral and it's not a proof, but maybe you're left with, what, and I think where most of us end up is, it's just sort of some elaborate party trick. Like Jesus just messing with people, you know? He's like, ooh, look, you know, a bird out of a hat. Like a cleansed leper. And so we just think it's random. It's a random party trick. And we just still don't know what do we do with healing. This morning, I want us to think about healing again in light of the question, what does healing actually show us about God? The focus of the series is who is God? And if Jesus is a healer and if healing shows up over and over again in the Gospels, why? And what does healing say about God? We'll start here in John 20. John 20, verses 30 to 31, it says, Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. Pause right there. John's favorite word for the healing miracles or the miracles of Jesus is this word, signs. Signs point to something. Signs designate a direction or signs disclose a destination. When you were driving up this morning and there was a sign that said, New Life Downtown, you're like, oh, there it is. Where in the school, where's the entrance? And you see a sign that says, main entrance. You're like, okay, there it is. Signs tell us that you've arrived or signs point us in the right direction. These healings are not just standalone things. They're not side things. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. Now, Jason went over these these terms last week. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and that he is God's son. 
Last week, Jason read the scripture from Colossians where Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Here's what I'd like to say to you. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, healing proves Jesus is God. It's actually deeper than that. Healing demonstrates what God is like. Not just that he is God, but what God is like. So that's the first thing we're going to say. Healing is a sign of what God is like. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, if the Son is like the Father, if the Messiah is the official representative of God and his kingdom, then every time he went about healing, we can say, oh, that's what God is like. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal because what we imagine the world to look like is that God lives upstairs and he's like a grumpy grandpa who's trying to read a book and take a nap. Maybe sip his tea. And we're down here like making a mess and he's like, help yourself to anything in the kitchen but don't clean up after yourselves, would you? And then he hears crashes and and people screaming and fighting like, like you do on a Saturday afternoon, you who have young kids in your home, you know. And yeah, right. And you're coming down, Lord. You're coming down. You're like, I th- why are you waking me up? From that? This is what we imagine God is like. It's like he gave us what we needed and he said, go and play and take care of yourself. And then we were like, ah, help. I've got wounds. I'm hurting. And he's like, oh my gosh. And he's this grumpy grandpa that stomps down the steps and says, what? Okay, fine. Be healed. You not so much. Okay. And then goes back up. <laughs> and we imagine this is what God is like. But there's so many problems with that picture. One of the problems with that picture is the Bible doesn't show us a world that has upstairs, downstairs. In fact, when it talks about earth and heaven, those are not different spaces. They're not different places, but they're actually overlapping spheres. Overlapping spheres. That means you could have a story like Jacob saying, I think God was in this place and I didn't even know it. You could have the prophet Isaiah saying, the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And people saying, it is. Because it's not separate places, it's overlapping spheres. But the other problem with that picture of the grumpy grandpa upstairs, bothered by our prayers for healing, is that it imagines that God hates doing this. It imagines that when you pray for healing, God doesn't really want to, but he will if you beg him. It's like my kids asking me for more TV. Like, I don't really want to, but fine. Except that when Jesus heals, and if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and if Jesus shows us what God is like, if this is not just a proof that he is God, but a sign of what God is like, then what we can say is, God, healing? Oh, that's, that's just you being you. That's just you being you. So every time you pray for healing, you could be bold. Because you're not asking God to do something other than what he loves to do. And you're not asking God to be anything other than himself. And so really when you pray for someone, you could say, God, would you just be yourself right now? Would you just do what you do right now? Healing is a sign of what God is like, but let's keep going. Matthew 4 verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues and he announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. Now we kind of disconnect the stuff. He announced the good news of the kingdom and then healing. And we're like, okay, well, maybe we'll do that, but maybe I'll do this. And Jesus is trying to put them together because he's trying to say, this is actually what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom looks like an announcement and a demonstration. 
an announcement and a demonstration. I'm looking at Stephen and Linda Todd spent many years pastoring in the vineyard movement. The vineyard was one of the great movements in the U.S. that helped us recognize these two things belong together. Announce the kingdom and then demonstrate it. If God's in charge, this is what it looks like. This is essentially the answer that Jesus gives John the Baptist. We heard it in Luke 7. Luke 7, John's the one who's like, prepare the way. God is coming to be king. And then John faces adversity. It's easy. We all have those moments where we're like bold and prophetic. Woo-hoo, prepare the way. And then we have those moments when we're like in despair and we're doubting. And we're like, really? Are you king? And so John's like, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Like, I hear that you're the king, the kingdom bringer, but does it look like the kingdom's coming? And Jesus, skip down to verse 22. Jesus says, you tell John what you've seen and heard. You tell John that the blind are able to see. You tell John that the crippled are now walking. You tell John that the lepers are now cleansed. You tell John that the deaf now hear. You tell John that the dead are raised up. That's the, you want to know if the kingdom's come? This is how we know. The second thing we can say about healing is that healing is a sign that God is in charge. Healing is a sign that God is in charge. The message paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer, that line that says, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it as, you're in charge. I love that. So instead of saying healing is a sign of the kingdom, sounds good on a theology paper, we'll just say it message version. Healing's a sign that God's in charge. And maybe you're, 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 you hear that and you're like, well, but I mean, I, I, I don't know, like, is he? And we hear back to us what Jesus told John. You tell them, tell them that blindness doesn't win. It will be overcome by sight. That deafness will be overcome by hearing. That leprosy will be overcome. You tell them that death itself won't get the last word. What does it look like to say that God's in charge? It looks like saying, imagine the worst and then tell yourself that God gets the last word about that. What if I'm not healed? What if I live with this disability? What if I go through life with this situation? What if this doesn't resolve? Jesus says, you tell them that that situation does not get the final say. The person in charge gets the final say. And the person in charge will speak the word of life. One day, death itself will be swallowed up in victory. One day, cancer will be no more. One day every tear will be wiped away. One day bodies will be made new. One day earth and heaven will become new creation. One day we will see what it really looks like for God to be in charge. And every demonstration of it now is a sign of that. But it's also a clue about our mission as Christians. It's also a clue into our mission. If we use this, if healing is the most central sign of the kingdom, then you might say that being a healer is the most central way of understanding your mission in the world. Let me, try, let me, let me pause and flesh this out a bit for you. Like, well, what am I supposed to do in the world? Are, are you just talking about, Glenn, that we should go pray for the sick? Yes, and. Is this just about us just like believing for miracles? And, yes, and. It's actually about recognizing that the central way of thinking about your life is that you're called to be a healer. You're called to be a healer in your home. You're called to be a healer in your neighborhoods. You're called to be a healer at your jobs. 
You're called to find the wound of the world and apply the healing grace of God over it. Now, when you say it, when you think of it that way and you start to think about the wounds of the world, all of a sudden you're like, no, no, actually there's a lot of wounds in the world. All the things Jason mentioned earlier, those are all wounds of the world. A virus is a wound in our world's health system. Poverty is a wound to a community. Injustice is a wound, a fracturing, a broken place in a society. There's wounds in the world. But the best the world has to offer is, I will see you're inflicting a wound on me, and I'll inflict a wound on you. The wounded will wound others. That's the law of the world. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a wound for a wound. And Jesus steps in and says, there's another administration that's arriving. There's another one on whom the government will rest on his shoulders. And he doesn't return a wound for a wound, a blow for a blow. He will apply healing to a wound so that you can become a wounded, a healed, wounded healer. Your scars, too, can be places that people touch and find healing. N.T. Wright says it this way, talking about the wounds of the world and the calling of Christians. N.T. Wright says, we need Christian people to work as healers. You may not have known it, but that's your job description. You might be a teacher, you might be an accountant, you might be a business owner, you might be a realtor. Actually, you're a healer. <laughs> you might be a stay-at-home parent, you're a healer. We need Christian people to work as healers, as healing judges and prison staff, as healing teachers and administrators, as healing shopkeepers and bankers, as healing musicians and artists, as healing writers and scientists, as healing diplomats and politicians. Please, God. We need people who will hold on to Christ firmly with one hand and reach out the other with wit and skill and cheerfulness, with compassion and sorrow and tenderness to the places where our world is in pain. We need people who will use all of their God-given skills to do what? To analyze where things have gone wrong. Do you know that every occupation, every line of work has a place in it that has gone wrong? You're like, People in authority, teachers, leaders, managers, you can abuse it. There's a place where it's gone wrong. Loan officers, bankers, parents. There's all places where it's like, ooh, it, it can go wrong. Find the places where it's gone wrong. Come to the place of pain and hold over the wound the only medicine which will really heal, which is the love of Christ. Made incarnate once more with your smile and mine, your tears and mine, your patient analysis and mine, your frustration and mine, your joy and mine. What a, what a vision for your life and my life. We're called to be healers, to analyze the place of pain and somehow hold over it the healing love and grace of God. Maybe every morning you can wake up and say, God, how can I be an instrument of your healing today? How can I, how can I locate the wound of my friendships today? Maybe when you listen to that list of things that Jason referenced, you're like, well, that, that is overwhelming. But what the grace of God does in us is it shows us the little places that we can act as healers. And maybe it's as simple as sitting with a person who's suffering and listening and weeping with them. 
Maybe it's as simple as putting your hand on someone's shoulder and saying, man, I'm sure that's got to be difficult. Not trying to give any answers or scriptures, but just presence. Maybe it looks like praying for them. All the different ways that we might minister as healers. Mark 1, verse 40 to 44, a man with a skin disease approached Jesus, fell to his knees and begged, if you want, you can make me clean. Incensed or angry, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him and said, I do want to be clean. I love that story. A little side note. People are always trying to justify their anger by saying, well, Jesus got angry. And I always want to say, and what happens when you get angry? Because when Jesus got angry, people got healed. Like, I'm not sure you want to be comparing your anger to Jesus's over here. Okay, like, just take that down a notch. I get angry, people get hurt. Jesus gets angry, people get healed. So, you know. Instantly, the skin disease left him and he was clean. Sternly, Jesus sends him away saying, don't say anything to anyone. Instead, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing that Moses commanded. This will be a testimony to them. This story of the leper and the instructions to go to the the priest, it shows up in three of the Gospels. We call them synoptic Gospels. There's three Gospels that follow loosely the same kind of timeline of events, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is like the kid in kindergarten who's like drawing his own picture outside the line, you know. John's like, that's cute. I'm going to mess things around a little bit and tell it this way. But the synoptics tell, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell, all three of them tell the story of this leper and the priest. And the reason for it is I think it's, it's important for us. It helps us recognize that healing is not just about the physical. Not even just about the emotional. Not even just about the spiritual. This is a story that reminds us that healing is also social. See, a leper in the first century Jewish community would not have been able to participate in the worshiping community of the people of God. They would have been viewed as unclean, unworthy. They probably did something. It was probably their sin. Maybe their parents' sin. They shouldn't be allowed in. And notice what Jesus does is so radical that today, if he did this today, it would offend both the left and the right. Because he doesn't say, you're not sick. You're fine. Leprosy, schmeprosy, just come on in. We welcome everybody. We're just inclusive. Our culture uses the word inclusivity in a way that actually ignores our deficiencies. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, come in. But neither does he say, stay out. Neither does he say, be healed, and you don't need the temple or the priest. Haters going to hate. You just go on your way and start your own healing ministry, brother. He doesn't do that. He says, you're healed. Now go show yourself to the priest because I want you to be reinstated into the community. This is so radical because it doesn't just address the sickness. It addresses the exclusion. And it doesn't just address the exclusion, it addresses the sickness. And that's what's so offensive to our sensibilities. Because we, we, we want to deal with one or the other. We can't say that anybody's sick. How dare you tell them that that's sin? Or how can you say this? Or we say, no, 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 that's fine, you're well, but you don't really need the people. And what this story reveals to us is that when God heals, he's trying to put everything back together again. The physical, the emotional, the spiritual, and yes, the social. He's trying to put the community back together again. It's a healing inclusivity. 
So thirdly, healing is a sign that God is at work within his world. He's actually working within it. He actually cares about those specific things. We're in, in, in danger of spiritualizing stuff and say, well, God will heal and then there's heaven and that's great. And Jesus is like, no, I'm still over here trying to heal the broken fracture of injustice. Where'd you go? Oh, I'm going to heaven, Jesus. What are you doing? He's like, no, no, I'm trying to reconcile these relationships over here. Oh, I mean, does that really matter? He's like, yeah, it does. The healing story that of this leper being reinstated into the community is a sign to us that God's trying to work within his world, not get us out of it. And this is the real problem with thinking about healing as an upstairs, downstairs thing, where we imagine that one day the grumpy grandpa's just going to say, all right, fine, come on up to the attic with me. Instead of saying, the whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's. And God never left. And God's trying to work within it. And he's trying to involve you and me in it so that he can put broken things back together again, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual, social. He's trying to put it all back together again. He's working within his world. It also means when we make a statement like this that he's working within his world, it also is a way to move beyond the old debates of faith and science. Sometimes people imagine that science told us that the world is, the universe is a clock. And so if God's going to heal, he's got to like do what we did to our physical clocks last night, like roll the time forward. Special moments, God will do that, okay. Other than that, just let the clock run, right? And we imagine that. But actually, science itself has changed its way of thinking about the world. My, one of my doctoral supervisors is an astrophysicist and systematic theologian. He writes about his own work and of a, another scientist named John Polkinghorne who was a priest in Cambridge. And lots of other people have written this way, talking about quantum physics, where they discovered actually when you look at the universe in its smallest particles, it's not at all like a machine. It's actually pretty wild. And you just wonder, you're like, if we could really study the world, would we really study that there's a wildness that God encoded in his world where he can nudge around an electron or two? (laughs) And we're like, we just, we think he has to like stop the gears of the clock. And he's like, no, man, I'm already in it. I'm already inside. And all I got to do is go. And he's working within it. And so we don't have to pit one view of the world versus the other because actually God's, all, God's been here all along. He's, he's never stopped working within his world. So how do we respond to this? How are we to respond to a God who heals because that's the core of who he is? A God who heals because when he's in charge, the world itself will come back together A God who heals by working within it, not by getting us out of it. How do we respond? If the worship team would come, I just want to close with this short little story from Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, Bar Timaeus, literally what it means, was sitting beside the road, and when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. 
Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. And Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. And then they called the blind man, be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. People are so fickle. Like a second ago, they're like, shut up. Now they're like, cheer up. It's like, man, people. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, <laughs> is this some kind of a cruel joke? Like Jesus, the dude is blind. Like, I mean, come on, I mean, like everybody knows. What do you want me to do for you? Like, are you being mean? Like, that's not nice. Like, what do you, what do you? I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to see if Bartimaeus is in touch with his deepest need. Bartimaeus replies, teacher, I want to see. He could have said, "Um, I just need more food for today, actually. You got any bread? He could have said, how about some money for the week? Give me a denarii or two. Jesus wanted to know, Bartimaeus, that's not your real problem, is it, that you don't have food? What's your real problem? She says, I'm blind. I'm blind. How do we respond to the God who heals? Very simply, confess your need. Confess your need. But not the fake stuff. Well, you know, I guess I got a little irritated on the drive down this morning. Child's play. Tell me about how you're tempted to rely on yourself as the provider of your life. Tell me about how you're tempted to forget that God is in charge. Confess your need. What is it you actually need to see? God, I actually need to see that you love me. That's my deepest need. I actually need to see that. Confess your deepest need. Don't play around with churchy stuff. Go deep. What's your real need? And then the second thing that happens here is Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus along the way. The second thing for us is not only to confess your need, but to ask in faith. It may be that you're here this morning with a, a need for physical healing. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're thinking of a need of relational healing. Maybe you're here and you're thinking of a, a need of emotional healing. But maybe it's difficult to ask because you've imagined that God is upstairs and you just don't want to bother the old man. My hope for you this morning is you recognize that God is here. Jesus, the Son of God, healed to demonstrate for us that God is not far away, that God is not grumpy or begrudging, but God is close and near and brokenhearted about the fractures in our own life and the wounds of the world around us. And Jesus is here putting all things back together again. Ask in faith. Ask in faith. God, I need this. God, I need you to bring your healing here. Don't live for a second under the illusion that the heavens are closed. The canopy is covering us. Let's be a church that will always say, let's just ask. Let's just ask. I don't know. I don't know. Let's just ask. Because God's here, right? And God feels the wounds of this moment, doesn't he? Would you stand with me this morning?